Greetings, friends. It's uh, Stephen and Paul back again for another episode of The Encouraging Word. Uh, we are fully immersed in the season of spring and, uh, and uh, transitioning from um, just uh, school years and, and watching those uh, wind down and uh, looking at a busy summer ahead of us. And it's good to, to just continue to do life with you all and, and check in uh, here and there with a, a new podcast and um, today we are digging into a, a new topic. Um, we have uh, finished, and you can check out uh, the, the older episodes, the last few especially on, on the history of uh, Rocky River United Methodist Church. should be uh, posted right along with this one, but uh, today we're going to uh, get back into the Word and uh, spend some time looking at uh, some of the more difficult things, difficult sayings of Jesus uh, throughout the Gospels. Um, yeah, Stephen and I have been sitting here chatting it up for a few minutes, kind of getting, getting our heads around this, but Jesus said a, a lot of very challenging things uh, throughout Scripture. A lot of people uh, who aren't as familiar with, with the word uh, look at him as just a, a warm, fuzzy, you know, very servant-hearted and, and uh, good, wise teacher, but um, if, if you don't spend a lot of time um, reading the Gospels, you might miss some of the moments in which he uh, said some things very much for, for shock value. He said some things that were very challenging, that uh, were very difficult to pick apart and kind of understand what he was trying to say. He, he very much challenged people at times, uh, even uh, scared people off, things that he said that you know half of his audience up and walked away because uh, because he was um, uh, posing some sort of threat to him with what he said or intimidating or frightening them. And uh, I think uh, Stephen and I thought it'd be fun to immerse ourselves for uh, a little bit into some of those sayings and, and kind of get in a sense of what Jesus was really trying to communicate or what, what he was trying to accomplish through those things. So that's what we're going to dive into today. We have uh, three passages we're going to focus on. And uh, hopefully these are ones you're, you're familiar with um, and uh, have already had uh, the opportunity over your lifetime, um, your time as a, a follower of Christ, form some questions of your own around these. We'll be able to answer some of those as we go. Uh, but before we get into the uh, word itself, we wanted to take a moment to uh, get you up to date on Stephen and I and on our fit segments, our funny, interesting, thought-provoking things that have been going on in our lives, and Stephen and I were commiserating that uh, we we haven't been able to come up with anything funny for a while. Uh, Stephen especially, just uh, just very humdrum fits uh, the last few months, so right. he, he apologized. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. uh, he's going to bring something really special today. No, but uh, really, we we uh, we were commiserating about uh, the fact that um, we just don't have enough humor in our lives. We're going to try and work on that for next time, but... We do uh, want to share with you a little what's going on. Stephen, you want to kick things off? I think we're both kind of dwelling in the same theme uh, this time for our fit segment. You want to share yours first? Yeah, Paul, I uh, I don't, I can't think of anything. Well, my fit segment does have some funny things, um, but yeah, it's just, I guess funny things do happen. I just don't, usually something that's really funny, it's funny for a while and then you tend to forget it. And I've seen maybe a lot of like funny short clips on the internet, but how do you describe a short funny clip all right. over audio? It just doesn't. That's true. It's... And there was a reason we decided to do a podcast, <laughs> right. not a video right. blog or something. Right. A good reason for that. So I guess it does uh, limit our opportunities. Right. 
Alright, so my fifth segment is uh, my girl's dance recital, McKenna and I's dance recital. Um, they did a really great job, um, actually. McKenna was basically front and center, and she did a good job following the routine. I guess that's what they call it. They call it a routine. Um, I don't know what the technical term is. You're looking at me like... <laughs> I know you have history yeah, in dance I and interpretive a, dance. Yeah, yeah, my last dance recital was at least a few weeks back. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and uh, Anaya did pretty well. She's she's a little bit younger than McKenna. She, Of course, you always have... Uh, the little kids are always looking to the ones to the left and to the right of them to figure out what to do. And she did a little bit of that, trying to look to the people around her to figure out what to do. But for the most part, she did pretty good job for her age um but it was just kind of cute because it was not just our girls dance troupe or dance club or dance whatever <laughs> dance club um but there are other dance troops there and um some with even like two and i think it was the youngest was probably two two and three maybe one and a half but seeing the really young kids dance is that's pretty cute one girl had like a pacifier in her mouth the whole time and she was like doing a little dance and at one point she pulled the pacifier out of her mouth and did the I don't know is it the 60s or 70s point point to the side is that is that what it's called yeah well I don't know what it's called <laughs> but I do follow right. where you're going with that maybe yeah. she was just pointing to her mom like I you know, no it wasn't like a, or something. yeah it wasn't like a point straight it was like a point oh. like in oh, the 60s or 70s, the where they're like pointing to the side like a disco Disco, point. yeah. I was just yeah, going to say that. Go. Disco era point. She took her pacifier out and did like this disco <laughs> point thing. Good of her so. to take the pacifier out. Right. That. Yeah. It was it was really cute. Everyone everyone was belly up in laughter. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I feel like uh, they did a really great job. And um, we'll see if they want to keep doing it. You never know as your kids' interests change over time. Now they're in. Now they're in T-ball, so I'll have some T-ball stories to share. Actually, and I had her first practice yesterday, and she made some kids cry because she kept taking the ball. Like, the, the <laughs> coach the coach would roll the ball like it's a ground ball. They would roll the ball to just to the kids in general, and, and I just kept outrunning all the kids to take the ball. So, um, yeah, Sounds we got like it. Uh, she gets that honestly, huh? Right, yeah. yeah. We'll have yeah. to we need to teach sharing and and giving. It's a it's a delicate balance there because right, of course you, you want your child to be competitive and, right. and going all out. Right. Um I think uh you know, my kids a lot of times in in sports and gym class they would get accused of being what they call a try hard, like oh, the other kids yeah, would get yeah, upset. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Or, Right. I know that, you know, we're supposed to be running laps in gym, but nobody actually runs laps. They right. just kind of walk and goof around, right. and my kids are running, and, you know, they get... <laughs> it makes all the other kids look bad, right? Yeah, so yeah. it's a delicate thing. Right. Well, talk about sports. I mean, your your son just had his, injured his foot again, right? Yeah, yeah, he's in a boot for the second time in the last uh, few months, <laughs> yeah. so... Fortunately, the running season is over, but he's, right. he's uh, yeah, going to be in a boot first maybe a couple weeks of summer also, and so yeah. he's he's a little frustrated, but um, yeah. uh, you know we we're we're trudging through. Right. But uh, yeah, I was going to share related to oh, also to the, the arts. No, no, oh, okay, I did. Okay, so you okay. I mean, yeah. thought maybe you would lead me into yeah. my fit, but you <laughs> took us a totally different track. <laughs> right. 
But my uh, my son is actually um, in the, the choir for the Rocky River High School, and there are actually numerous choirs, um, and I can't keep them all straight. They have different names and such, but uh, uh, we went to their choir concert uh, end of the year, and, of course, they highlight the, the graduating seniors, and it's, it's really um, <coughs> emotional, kind of neat to see them finish their uh, journey and all the time they spent together building relationships and immersing themselves in the, in the arts there so it's a neat concert but also um need to know you know as my kids uh age up next year uh both are, are still in high school you know you're older and, and my daughter was inspired by the concert and her interests have uh kind of blossomed in the last year so she she decided she was going to try out for the choir for next year so next year my kids are both planning on being in uh, vocal music and my son tried out for a new uh, type of choir that's a little bit more challenging, and so it's it's fun to watch that. Um, and uh, you know, you try not to. As, as dads, you you know you you don't want to get too um, wrapped up in stuff, or you feel like you you can't or you shouldn't because it's not the the manly thing to do. But I I love uh, watching them perform, watching them uh, just grow and and um, have a blast with their friends and immerse themselves in, in something like that. So. Uh, that's uh, that's our check-in. So we're ready to, to take a deep dive into what's going to be a little bit of time in, in John and a lot of time in Matthew. Are we good to go? Yeah, you're ready to dive in. Uh, all right, well, let's do this. Um, friends, we're going to start start in Matthew 5. Uh, so if you want to join us, if you're in a position where you can pull up your uh, Bible app, maybe on your phone or you have a Bible nearby. So uh, I'm going to start reading in Matthew 5, 27. And this is uh, in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. So uh, the Sermon on the Mount, I believe, is Matthew 5 through 7. And uh, for those who may not be aware, it's Jesus' most uh, well-known teaching session in, in all of uh, Scripture. It's recorded in, I believe, at least two of the Gospels. Um, and they're, you know, in Israel, they actually believe they know the exact location where he was standing because the acoustics... Uh, are uh, appropriate there that he could speak to a, a large crowd without any amplification if he were standing in a specific area. Uh, the, he covered a great number of topics, but we're going to focus uh, today on, like we said before, one of the more challenging, uh, maybe even confusing uh, topics and, and statements that he made during the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm going to read starting in verse 27. Here we go. Uh, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So, uh, yeah, that's a that's a doozy. We wanted to focus in particular on uh, the the concept there of <clears throat> of um, Jesus's instruction to gouge out your own eye and and dispose of it, to cut off your own hand and dispose of it, with the intention uh, being to uh, to purify your heart. So. Um, I think the question ultimately is, you know, how do we how do we take this? Is this uh, is this metaphor? Is this meant to be taken literally? Is this uh, hyperbole? Is Jesus just uh, exaggerating here to make a point? And and if so, regardless of the case, what is the message? What is he really trying to communicate here? 
Um, and I think ultimately the underlying concept is is the the physical and, and the spiritual. And this is one of Jesus's uh, biggest challenges and um, missions, uh, intentions throughout his his ministry here on earth is to help the, the Israelite people transition from a a faith experience, a faith story that was very much intertwined with the physical um, throughout the entire Old Testament and God raising up his, his nation, his people, is always about, you know, literally and physically following this extensive list of laws, going through all of these uh, rituals, you know, the sacrifice uh, rituals, purification rituals. It was about um, making sure that uh, they... You know, they they didn't uh, bind their, you know, their ox with a donkey or wear an article of clothing with two different kinds of material. I mean, it was very, very specific in the, the physical expectations that the people were uh, asked to, to uh, adhere to so that they could be right with God. Jesus comes along here um, and uh, continues to kind of preach the, the theme of being right with God, but has the people go about it in a whole different way. He's trying to emphasize the spiritual over the physical, um, that the physical is still important, um, but the, the, the spiritual is really the end rather than the physical being the end. Um, any thoughts on that? Would you go the same direction with this, Stephen? Yeah, I... Um, so yeah, Paul and I had... Uh, we were talking about this before we got on air. Um... And I, I think a lot of the Sermon on the Mount, I, I would make the point that God is always intended for the law, even all the laws in the Old Testament, always intended for them to be, um, that he wanted the intent of the people to love him from their hearts, not just show love and devotion to him by what they do. Um, because there's several, you'll see there's several Psalms and the prophets, they mention that at one point, one of the Psalms, Jesus um, had, not Jesus, or the psalmist wrote that you're just, you're not happy with just sacrifices. What you want is a contrite heart, or a contrite spirit. Um, because there was a point, or even there's points in the in the prophets where God's like, I'm tired of your ritual songs. Like, I, I don't even want to hear your songs anymore. Mm. Because he knew the heart of the people. He knew that they weren't devoted to him. They He knew that they were still worshiping idols. He knew that um, he can see like the songs and the sacrifices were all these ways for the people to um, adhere to what God wanted them to do, but they never changed. Into, and this is another reason why God um, ripped up the first covenant for a second covenant in which Christ had to come and he died to cleanse our conscience, um, which is also mentioned in Hebrews about a sacrifice that cleanses the conscience and no longer do we like this the law of God is now written on our hearts um, so that's that's kind of what the intent of Christ's coming was to change our hearts um, so the I, I would say a lot of the beatitude a lot of this on the Sermon on the Mount is about motivations about the heart because um, Paul and I were just saying you could say technically the people could say technically from a pure physical standpoint or from a pure adhering to the law the Pharisees were, in essence, perfect. Um, they did everything that the law required them to do. And, and, and matter of fact, this is what Jesus would say, like they would go beyond the law. They would create a law to protect them from another law. 
a law that wasn't in scripture, but a law they would make up a law to protect them from breaking one of the laws in scripture. So, so basically, like uh, if you're not supposed to pick wheat on the Sabbath, that right. basically you know you're not allowed to pick wheat an hour before the Sabbath, right, like right. an extra guard, an extra rail guard exactly to protect them so that they exactly. would 100 uh, percent without not fail right. follow the law. Right, and people are like, "Oh man, they must be perfect." And this is what this is why it's a shock value when Jesus says, "Your righteousness." Need, needs to be better than the Pharisees. And they're like, what? What do you mean? Like, how can I ever be better than that? Because they were essentially perfect. So these whole Beatitudes is about, no, like, if you look at a woman lustfully, not just avoid adultery, but looking the intent in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Or um, before this pastor is looking in context, he said, if you say, was it Raka? Yeah. To your, what you say, you fool to your neighbor, with this intent and anger, um, you've already committed murder. Like so, he's he's really delving into um, that internal response. Yeah, it, it it all comes down to the heart, and um, I think the emphasis here is on the fact that the you know we have to be willing to make whatever physical sacrifices are necessary to protect uh, the heart, to to nurture a healthy heart, a healthy relationship with God. Um, and sometimes, you know, Stephen and I will sit down, we'll start brainstorming exactly where we want to go or what we want to cover with these right before we hit uh, record. And then we, you know, 10 minutes later, we're like, man, we should have just recorded this conversation. <laughs> but uh, so we, we were digging deep into, and I think Stephen and I are on the same page, but maybe a little bit different leanings in this uh, to some extent. Whether, uh, to what extent, you know, to what extent do you um, sacrifice the physical or even, um, in this case, you know, Jesus is, is actually giving instruction, uh, come under the category of like self-mutilation, you know, is this something that Jesus literally would endorse that somebody trying to be in a healthier spiritual state, uh, their heart be healthier with God? Uh, should inflict pain or suffering um, or injury upon themselves. And uh, we were having kind of an interesting conversation, knowing that there have been cases throughout history where different sects of Christianity or different denominations within Christianity have at least permitted this, if not endorsed it. And, you know, there's some movies out there that give some pr pretty graphic uh, representations of this, of, of people who have... Uh, you know, on a daily basis or regular basis scourged themselves or injured themselves as a way of just uh, uh, causing themselves pain to somehow in, in their mind purify their heart to get right with, with Jesus. And I think it can be a very dangerous, uh, very um, unhealthy thing to pursue. Uh, but I guess uh, I have a hard time not, not relating this at the same time to the concept of fasting. Uh, if, if Jesus endorses this notion of fasting, which I think he does, that we would deprive ourselves of the physical in order to, uh, for that period of time anyhow, focus more on the spiritual and, and really have more meaningful interaction with God. If we would give up uh, coffee or if we would give up uh, TV or whatever the case might be to make our focus be more simply uh, stayed on God um, if something, some part about our own body is also coming between us and God, would we also not perhaps need to be willing to give that up as well as, as, as ridiculous as it sounds 
um, to me, the, the principle aligns with the concept of fasting. Uh, but Stephen and I are both just a little hesitant to, to say that there shouldn't be a, a line there <laughs> to, to, um, that, uh, you know, maybe if, if harm is, uh, inflicted on us externally because of our faithfulness, that we need to be ready and willing to accept that, but to inflict it on ourselves personally is a line, uh, perhaps that shouldn't be crossed. Right. And I think, um, there's, uh, as I was listening to Paul speak, it may remind me of one of the a pretty well-known passage in Romans chapter 12, um, where it talks about, Paul says, I urge you brothers and sisters, if you have God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Now, I've, it's another kind of language of like, we obviously don't believe Paul wants us to start sacrificing ourselves literally, um, or sacrificing people in the church that hopefully <laughs> <laughs> please you to God, because obviously this is not what Paul's intent is, um, but it's in a very spiritual sense. And I feel like um, I would kind of put what Jesus said here in the same vein. I, I think it was kind of mentioned earlier, a lot of times um, these hard sayings of Jesus are these really shocking us into reality so in in a sense like i think this is almost good language for our culture today in a, in a way and let me explain because i feel like especially in our culture today when it comes to adultery or it comes to sexual matters or just sex in general we in the west i mean it might just in general as a human race we're just so desensitized especially i'll just speak for america we're so desensitized to sex and sex like it's just it's everywhere. Sex sells anything. It sells everything. It's just like it's in our shows. It's in. It's in. It's in our ads. It's. It's. It's almost like the air we breathe. It's everywhere. Um, and Jesus in this saying is very shocking, cutting hands and cutting off your, separating it from your body and even mentioning hell twice. Um, this almost in a way wakes you up from your, kind of your lazy kind of humdrum you're like well this is it's i would say a hyperbolic response to a legitimately dangerous issue mm. um and jesus is really trying to bring that to light um and again like paul and i were speaking that i don't that i don't believe it's because we don't see there's a difference between in other religions there is self-inflicted pain that people do but i think even going back to Romans, what Paul says, the highest sacrifice that we could give is is of ourselves, which is our full commitment to him, which we'll actually we'll mention in our very next passage, what full commitment to Jesus looks like. Um, and I feel like it's going to the extreme, like you're willing to give up anything in order to um, have this relationship with Jesus because he means so much to you. And, and I, and, this is why, as you look at the Beatitudes, all that Jesus calls us to do, I mean, this is, to be honest, as you read the Beatitudes, you, when you come, after you read through all of them, you, you should ask yourself, there's no way anyone could do this. You know, as human beings, there's this, the Beatitudes, the calling for the Beatitudes is, is really beyond our human capability. And this is exactly why Jesus came and died in, in order to send the Spirit into our lives so that we can at least live and have the intention to fulfill 
or to live out these beatitudes, knowing that we won't reach perfection, but with the help of the Spirit and the help of God's love within our hearts, um, we can strive towards um, living um, as Jesus spoke. But this is also, I think this also, for me, excites me for what is to happen in heaven. You know, this is, this is what it truly means to be a follower of Christ and have a committed, um, in heaven we'll have a committed love to God, we'll We'll have this. We'll love our enemies. We'll love. We'll be committed in our in our speech and will everything that we do. We do not to show off, but we do for a love for God. And it's 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 hard, but it's also something that like man, this is what it truly looks like to be a follower of Jesus and what we could look forward to in the future. But hmm. uh, I hope that right. answers. I appreciate you finishing us on more of a positive note there. <laughs> right. It's kind of doom and gloom for a while. But, uh, That's true. You, yeah. you, you well, finish this off yeah. with uh, yeah, always end of, with hope, right? Yes. Yeah. Of the glory of heaven. So, yeah. um, well, uh, unfortunately, it's going to be short-lived because <laughs> our next passage yeah. is going to take us to another place of uh, at least uh, metaphorical darkness. So this is uh, Matthew chapter 10, so just uh, skipping ahead a few chapters, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 34. Um, so this is no longer part of the, the Sermon on the Mount, it's a, it's a distinct uh, teaching of, of Jesus, and um, in fact, uh, this is the context for this, is Jesus is preparing his uh, disciples to be sent out uh, two by two to preach the gospel to surrounding villages and towns. Um, so that's the context. Let me go ahead and read the portion that we want to uh, address. This is starting in verse 34. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. All right, uh, so we have, um, you know, pretty much Jesus declaring that uh, this whole thing about peace on earth and, um, you know, that Jesus is a, uh, brings peace and uh, warm and fuzzies and, um, you know, basically any image that you might have had of, of Jesus as a, you know, peace-loving hippie, if you're from that era, <laughs> just got blown to smithereens. Uh, <coughs> might have really been his, his reality in a day-to-day -day sense uh, in his ministry, that that was the uh, kind of the vibe that he gave off um, largely, and, and that that was um, his engagement with people. But as we said initially, there's a lot of challenging uh, and um, conflicting moments in, in which he was really pushing people's buttons and, and kind of contradicting that uh, image at the same time. And this is one of them. So, like I said, the context for this, I, I think, is important. We are um, in chapter 10, in which uh, it begins, Jesus calling his 12 disciples and uh, to, giving the, uh, to, to preparing them to go out in 
uh, ministry on their own. And in fact, early in the chapter, it's uh, one of the places in Scripture where the 12 disciples are listed by name. And in fact, here I think it's interesting, they're referred to not as 12 disciples, but as 12 apostles. Uh, the first verse, they're called disciples, but when Jesus prepares to send them out, he refers to them in verse 2 as apostles. So they've gone from a disciple, somebody who follows uh, follows Jesus' teaching, his, his life, to somebody who is sent out, an apostle. And Jesus then commits uh, the next uh, 30 plus verses in this chapter to preparing them uh, to be sent out. And um, he, he gives a few logistical instructions about what they are to bring and not bring and where, they're to, where they are to go and how to react uh, based on the receptions they receive. But a lot of it is him preparing their, their hearts and their minds uh, for what they're going to experience, the, the persecution uh, they, that they're going to experience. Uh, he even uses the phrase, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Um, and uh, he really, uh, he's, he's preparing them for a rough go of it. And I know that uh, maybe in their minds, they were all excited because he was giving them all authority to drive out spirits and to heal. And they're thinking we get to go on this healing tour and uh, we're going to work some miracles. And finally, you know, Jesus is, is uh, setting us up to succeed here. And, and we get to, um, you know, we get to defy science and, and logic and do all these amazing things. But the rest of the speech after uh, Jesus um, calls them together is all about how rough it's going to be, how horrible people are going to be towards them. Um, and then this uh, kind of wraps it up with this speech about um, his, his intention not being to bring peace uh, to the earth, but to bring a sword, uh, that conflict is inevitable. So what do we do with this? Uh, what is, what is Jesus's intention here? I think, um, Context, once again, is, is huge. It's tremendously important. I think when Jesus says he uh, did not come to bring peace but a sword, I think we need to um, just kind of uh, understand that the, the, the purpose of that statement was not to express what Jesus wanted to do. Of course, he wants uh, the earth to be a place of peace. He wants us to have peace, which in, in his sense is not just the absence of conflict, but true inner peace transformation a place of contentment and, and true peace and tranquility with within our relationship with god and others he wants the world to know this but at the same time he knows that the world that he is coming into in ministry and here in this case the world he's sending his disciples out to is not a world that's prepared to embrace uh, that peace because it's not prepared to embrace him and his word so uh, it is a necessary reality that before peace can begin to um, spread in the world, the peace that, that only he can bring, there first must be conflict uh, in order to uh, receive Christ. People first must uh, be, be conflicted. They must uh, stand um, uh, corrected for the ways that they're living, the, the understandings and, and, the, um, and the, the attitudes that they have. And they must, uh, they must stand in conflict uh, first with Jesus, but then with other people who embrace Jesus and, and his uh, lifestyle and, and his uh, message. Brothers are going to be in conflict with each other, family members, uh, neighbors, because one will have embraced Jesus' sense of peace, another will not. And the only way to continue to pass this peace along is for, uh, to, to pass through 
these conflicts that will necessarily uh, ensue because uh, some are there and some are not, and it's our job to stay pure, stay true uh, with what Christ calls us to be, um, and that that necessarily means that we will be in conflict because we're not going to water it down, we're not going to compromise, we're going to be who we are, um, and in order to pass that along to other people, we represent Christ truly, there's going to be conflict uh, because it's it's going to be threatening to them, it's going to be uh, standing in conflict with how they live and how they see the world and themselves, uh, so it, it will necessarily uh, begin in a state of conflict, and I'll shut up and let Stephen jump in, he's itching, but... Um, but I think it's it's really all around what the disciples can expect to experience uh, based on the reality of, of the mission that they're being sent out on. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, everything you said I agree with. I, I think it's, I mean, it is quite interesting um, because Jesus, was it in Matthew, I think we all know the passage where Jesus says that I come to give, yeah, action of, the very next chapter is the famous passage about um, come to me all who are weary and burdened I will give you rest which rest in a sense is a peace right so you have as soon as I set my sword down I'll, <laughs> right, right, yeah, exactly. I'll put my arm around you and give you rest exactly so you, and this is how I mean this is what makes Jesus such an amazing um, person because he, he it, on the surface it could, it could appear contradictory where it's like you just said you're not bringing peace but then you say come to me and have rest um, but I think what Jesus is here, especially when he uses the word sword, what, when you think of the word, what a sword does, a sword divides, um, sword is also used as, as a word in Hebrews where it talks about the word of God is, is a sword, um, separating bone from marrow, like, so sword is seen as division. And I feel like as, as, as a Christian, we don't, I think Jesus knew that to follow him and to receive his peace will inevitably create conflict um, because and this is actually very true in a way Jesus is a very controversial figure uh, without much to say I don't have to explain much about how he is but even in our society today Jesus is very controversial um, especially the true Jesus not um, the Jesus that people can create or the Jesus we make in our own image but the Jesus of Scripture is very controversial where he says like I'm the only way to the Father that it's a narrow gate the way to hell is broad even the mentioning of hell I mean Jesus says a lot of things that that are very um, controversial so to to follow him and to receive his peace will put us against really against the world um, and throughout the letters uh, the epistles you'll see that. Um, churches are under persecution because they're following Jesus, um, and and a lot of the, the writers in the epistles say, "Don't you're going to face conflict, you're going to face um, persecution, but let that persecution not be because of something wrong you did, but that persecution may be because just because you follow Jesus." Mm-hmm. And um, um, it actually makes me think of when I was teaching the youth um, the passage in uh, Daniel in the lion's den. Um, the reason Daniel ended up in the lion's den because he was so good at his job. The other administrators and satraps were mad at Daniel, and they just had to come up with the law to to persecute him. Um, and that and that happens as Christians like we could be we're just so devoted to following Christ, and not in a a way that's 
abrasive and mean, but in a way that's kind of loving. And sometimes people just don't like good people. Um, mm -hmm. It's just the reality. Mm -hmm. um, so, and also I think what Jesus is saying here too is that our, I think verses 37 and 38 really kind of explain 35 and 36 in a way because he's saying that um, our love for Jesus goes even beyond um, family love. Um, and I, and I, I also, Paul and I talked about how it's interesting he doesn't mention marriage in here. Um, it doesn't say husband against wife, but it does say like man against father and daughter against mother, which I would say man is probably son against father and daughter against mother and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And Paul and I said that that probably happens already. Right. It comes down to it. Um, but what he's saying here, and especially this is, we also going to look to think back into the, put our mindset back into the ancient culture even now in the Middle East, family is everything. I mean, mm -hmm. this family is, I mean, you look at the beginning of Matthew, it's all about genealogy. It's all about one family genealogy. Um, genealogies meant everything to you. Like you're a Levite, you're a, you're, you're, um, you're a tribe of Judah, the tribe of, like, so like all of that, I mean, that was so intensely followed. And then for Jesus to say, hey, following me is going to put you against some of your family relationships. That is, that's huge. That's, that's a devotion that's, that's like mind blowing for them. And that, so Jesus is saying that you love your, you love me more than your father, more than your mother, more than your son, more than your daughter. Um, and this is, again, it's, man, it, even when I think about it now, it's just like this love and devotion for Jesus goes beyond anything else we could ever love or devote ourselves to. Um, and I think the reason he doesn't mention marriage is because marriage are seen as one and, and you're to love God together. And even Paul, when he mentions marriage, when there's a, a believer married to an unbeliever, it doesn't say just divorce them. It says you should win them over. Um, and it, unless the unbeliever partner wants to get a divorce, you do. But even Paul says like in a marriage, you still try to win them over for Christ. Um, but even then, you, you would see if you have an unbelieving husband or spouse, your commitment to Christ is still, you know, but, yeah. It's, and I think uh, the context here of sending the disciples out, no mm -hmm. question in my mind that Jesus intends it's not just for his original 12. I mean, this is meant for all of us, and that's why he finishes the passage like he does by speaking generically about right, yeah, uh, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not right. worthy of me, et cetera, et cetera. It's, yeah. it's a principle that holds for all of us, and all of these yeah. hold for all of us. And, and Stephen just pointed out, this means for us, uh, our family ties must be secondary even to our uh, connection, our allegiance to Christ. Um, but a couple other concepts that he, he throws out here with his disciples, he, he's sending them out, like we said, uh, like sheep among wolves. He right. instructs them uh, to be have the, the capacity about themselves to one moment be a snake uh and the next be a dove i think that's interesting right. if you look earlier verses 16 and 17 as he's building towards this uh notion about bringing a sword and and uh um not necessarily um expecting peace on earth initially that that christians or his followers are called to have the capacity about themselves to be as shrewd as a snake we all know that we're called to be doves people of peace and 
and uh, generosity and, and uh, gentleness. And, but, uh, you know, did you know that Christians are called to be shrewd sometimes? Would you ever have thought of, of Jesus as being shrewd? Um, and it, it doesn't necessarily mean, it doesn't mean at all uh, dishonest. It doesn't mean um, that we would be cruel. It just means that uh, we need to be very convicted uh, about what we believe and who we are. And we need to uh, be willing to challenge people, challenge the ideals of this world, and not wilt uh, under the, the pressure of, um, of those around us. And so Jesus sends his disciples out telling them to be uh, ready to stand up to wolves, be willing to be shrewd as a snake, but don't forget to be a dove uh, in, in all of it at the same time. I think it's interesting. He tells them to go out uh, to these surrounding villages without taking anything with them and the purpose being he wants uh, those who will receive their message to have the opportunity to bless them uh, by providing them shelter by providing them food and, and materials so as we go out and, and share the gospel with people and uh, just simply seek to, to interact with people bless people with our love of, of Christ um, I, I think that the message here is, um, yes, you know, be generous, be radical in your love and hospitality and grace and, and serve people and love people uh, very much, but also be willing to challenge them and, and invite them to do the same themselves. Uh, an example comes to mind for me. We had a, a period when we were doing, uh, we've always done worship out at the free store and there was a, a um, a time in which several people came to us, uh, patrons of the free store, and said, well, uh, we we uh, really appreciate that we get to come every week and, and um, you know, receive free items of clothing and household goods, <coughs> uh, but we really want the opportunity to, to, to give back, too, you know, so can we work in that to, to our worship times, that we have the opportunity to give back, and, and a lot of our free store patrons would bring uh, donations of their own in to contribute to the free store. A lot of times uh, they would want to give uh, money. They would want to throw a couple of bucks in and, and show their appreciation. And, and in our minds, it was inappropriate for us to uh, even give them the opportunity, much less ask them to give uh, towards the ministry, but it was in their heart to do so. And I think it's a similar concept to what Jesus is calling his disciples to here. When you go out, um, you know, don't water down your message, uh, you know, show love and generosity and grace and peace, but don't, uh, don't water down the more challenging parts of the message such that you're, you, people feel like you're inviting them to, uh, enter into, you know, the, the life of a, a Christian, which means being a dove, you know, being a sheep all the time that we have to be, um, we have to be able to be wolves. We have to be able to be snakes. We have to, uh, have a, a grit about us, a conviction and a strength about us. And so when we invite people to receive the gospel and into that lifestyle, don't don't neglect um, to both represent that uh, side of Christianity, uh, but also invite and encourage people to embrace it. Once again, not like a, not, not anything anti-Christian, not anything cruel or, or uh, dishonest, but just a, a strength and a vigor uh, a conviction uh, to who we are and to uh, properly representing Christ in a, in a impactful, uh, powerful way. So I think that uh, that is laced within here as well. Um, and I think it's 
that uh, in particular is a lesson a lot of uh, folks, a lot of church folks nowadays uh, tend to miss and overlook, but it's uh, something that is especially important in the world we live in today. So we should probably transition, right, Stephen? We got one more. Yeah, we have one more. Um, and I'll take up close to this, too. I, I'm trying to... Um, Sorry, I'm trying to look for the, I can't remember exactly what chapter is where the rich young ruler, um, there's a quote that Peter says when he says, who, then who can be a Christian, uh, who, who can be a follower of God, that what it's almost, and then Jesus says, what's impossible for man is possible for God. And at that point, he also says, you won't fail to gain so much more in those who follow him. And what this makes me think of too is that when he speaks about man against father and mother and he's speaking about these family relationships but also puts in mind is that there's a Jesus sees us being part of the spiritual family the the body of Christ a, a family um, that's made up the kingdom of God that we have we receive more we receive fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters because of our connection with Christ and we become one family um, it makes me think of that as well um, but yeah, it's 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 a uh, it's quite a passage. It has a lot. You could we could spend all day in that passage. <laughs> yeah. The more I think about, it, the more connections it draws. So, right. um, yeah. So our next passage we're gonna look at our last passage is John six, um, verses four. We're gonna this can be kind of a large chunk. John six verses forty seven um, to sixty four. So it'll be a little bit longer, but um, you'll see how it, all of it is important. Um, John six forty seven, that says, "Very, very truly, I tell you, the one who believes." Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. Um, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in me. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is... Um, the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, um, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. Um, and then it says later on that, actually, some of the disciples. On verse 66, it says, From this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. 
<clears throat> Sorry. So there's a lot going on in this passage. I think it's interesting. <laughs> a lot of when it comes to um, when I think of uh, prosperity preaching or like preaching to. I think we always should always be reaching people. We should always be reaching for Christ for reaching people for Christ. But it's interesting that Jesus is just like, does this offend you? Well, okay, like he and he just doesn't seem to care and. Some and it's almost like he's weeding out the 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 crowd because many disciples left. He wasn't like, oh, come back, come back, come, let me let me explain. He's just kind of like, does this offend you? All right, like, you know, it, it's just kind of a he's going almost what you talked about being shrewd yeah. as a snake. He like he does not um, change his message in order to keep the masses together yeah. in a way. He, not gonna sugarcoat. No, things, he doesn't yeah. sugarcoat. So. So this is, again, I think in our day and age, we um, we kind of, I know that when we hear this passage, we automatically think of the Lord's Supper, because that's kind of, we drink blood and eat the bread, which means his body. So it kind of takes a little bit of the shock value out of it, and a little bit. Um, however, this is much more, this is <laughs> much more graphic than what he said at the Last Supper. Um, this is, and also too, he, he's doing a direct comparison between the physical manna bread that the Jews ate. And he's almost saying like, I'm just like that manna. Um, and it fills in a really, it sounds like in a real physical sense. Um, of course at the last supper, he's not having that. It doesn't, it's not such a, um, shock value in it. Um, but what Jesus is saying here, he wants to, he wants to create this, Again, the shock value to, to help open up the audience's eyes and minds um, to think and to, to realize what he's speaking about is real power. Um, so what Jesus is saying, he's like, these words that he's saying, he says later on, are full of spirit. So he says that um, in verse 63, he said, what I've said is full of spirit. So obviously it's not literally he wants the people, he's not, <laughs> he's not sticking his arm out. <laughs> For people to come bite his arm off, you know. So like, so he's saying these words are full of spirit. However, what he says, what's what's really important, is that um, he says the flesh counts for nothing. Now he's not saying again that going back to our passage about cutting off our hands and stuff. He's not saying the body doesn't matter. I think the body absolutely matters. As a matter of fact, Jesus didn't come to Earth as a spirit. He came to Earth in a physical body. And not only that, when he resurrected, he didn't resurrect as, as a spirit. He resurrected as a physical body. And Jesus made that a point to to eat fish in front of his disciples, say, hey, I'm not a ghost. I'm a real person. So I think Jesus has the highest view of the body. Um, but what he's saying, though, what's important to point out here is that the body with a dead spirit is essentially dead. So that's what he's kind of saying. The body without a living spirit is dead. So, like, in a real sense, Jesus is saying, if, you, if you're not in taking this real spiritual food, which he is, he is, he is what we eat, he is what we drink, um, it's his spirit that gives us life. His spirit is real. His spirit real, really changes us in a sense that um, what we do with our body matters because of our living spirit or Jesus' living spirit within us, that he transforms us. He changes us. That now we are alive because of the Spirit of Christ in us. 
Um, so what he's saying is that if you don't partake of this this real spiritual food, you're going to be as if you're dead. Um, because the, the flesh without a living spirit is dead. Um, so the spirit in a very real way gives life, physical life, just like real food gives us physical life. Um, again, like I said, Jesus sees it holistically. He doesn't, here in America, we, we really do a good job of parsing like spirit, spirit and physical that, and this actually goes back to Roman thought, agnostic thought that the spirit is all that matters and the body doesn't really matter. And this is why people could like mutilate themselves and cut themselves because it's the spirit that's inside. That's what really matters, not the body. But I would argue that scripture throughout all of scripture, the body is important. I mean, Jesus made Adam out of the dust and, and then, and this also, this is kind of gives image to what Jesus is saying when God made Adam out of the dust, he blew his breath into him, he blew his spirit into him. And the same thing that happens after Jesus is resurrected, um, I think it's in John, but Jesus blows the Holy Spirit. There's another image of Jesus blowing on the disciples to receive um, the Holy Spirit. So there's this, again, this, this, this image is created on both sides in the, in the beginning of creation and after the resurrection, this, this new creation that is to come. Um, and that's essentially what I would say Jesus is saying here, that you must receive the Spirit to have life. And now the physical is alive because of the Spirit inside of you. So I hope, hope that wasn't too complicated to follow. No, that's, that's good stuff. Well, um, and I think what we're learning, and, and I'll, I'll contribute to this in a moment, but you can't just be a, you can't, you can't just read, you know, a verse here and a verse there or, or just portions of the Bible and, and really be a student of the word. Um, there are just so many concepts that are from Genesis to Revelation, just interwoven. Right. And every mention of it just continues to build our uh, knowledge and understanding of, of right. what it means and how it's important to us. Um, and, and what you just shared is one of those. And, and here's, here's, here's where my brain was going while, of course, I was intently listening. Um, but just roll with me for a second here. So Jesus is the Son of God. He is God. He is, was present for creation. Uh, John 1 tells us that the Word was with God. He was God. He was there when everything was created. So God had the choice when he created us whether he gave us the the need. Uh, he, he chose to give us the need to consume food and, and water, right? So this was a choice. He didn't have to do that. Um, he made us from scratch. He made us from the dust, whatever he, you know, so he chooses to give us the need to consume and that theme already, or that concept already, uh, gets, uh, some, some layers of complexity in, in the garden when the, um, Adam and Eve are tempted to eat and instructed not to from the, uh, tree of the, uh, knowledge of good and evil and, and uh, you got the tree of life and, you know, fruit from both of these trees. And anyhow, you know, the, the um, concept of consuming food and drink is already in place there. And then they're uh, kicked out of the garden and he has to toil to produce his own food. After that, uh, Adam does. And then you start working your way through the Old Testament. You come to uh, manna in the wilderness that Jesus directly references here. That at one point, right when God... Uh, takes his people under his wing and says, you are my people, you are my nation. One of the first things he does when he gets them out in the wilderness is he responds to their demands to be fed, that they 
they need uh, food, they need, uh, uh, what's the word, they need uh, supplement, Sup uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, substance? <laughs> substance. Uh, there's another word that's uh, anyhow. So they need food. They need some food, right? These guys, these, these uh, the, the Substance Israelites. Substance or substance. Substance. Yeah. There yeah, it is. Yeah. You were just uh, two letters off or something. They needed some substance. So, so God provides them physically in the Old Testament. He provides them the substance through the manna and the quail. You know, they get food directly from heaven. And Jesus builds on this again then. Um, here in John 6, and he says, okay, um, you know, I gave you the need for food, you know, looking back to the Garden of Eden, and, and then you took on your, your own responsibility for creating your own food, but it, uh, but it was going to be painful, it was going to be difficult, that was the lesson that Adam had to learn coming out of the Garden of Eden, he had to toil to create it, and at times it isn't even accessible, you're, you're starving, Guess what? God is going to come in and play this role of the, the entity that's going to provide you with the nourishment that you need to survive. So that groundwork is laid in the Old Testament. You get to Jesus and you got the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus provides physical food for his audience. And then right after that, which is where we go here in John 6, this is right after the feeding of the 5,000. Um, at least I think it is in, yeah. Beginning of John 6, beginning of the 5,000, Jesus transitions to spiritual. You understand the manna in the wilderness. You understand that concept. You understood that I just fed you all yesterday or whatever, you know, uh, actual bread and fish. Now I'm going to teach you about this spiritual food, and you're going to learn it um, within the context of everything that I've taught you from the beginning of time about the need for food. One is, like you learned about the manna in the wilderness, it came down every day. You were to collect it every morning. You need to seek me every morning. You need to, to uh, your relationship needs to be not just a, a yearly check-in. It needs to be every day. You're, you're walking, you're receiving from me, you're walking with me, you're receiving of my nourishment. Um, and if you don't consume it that day, it spoils by the next morning. That was one of the rules with the manna. Um, and uh, spend the Sabbath day just dwelling with me, you know, not out there working. So all this, this, this concept is just building throughout Scripture to this point when Jesus makes it spiritual, finally makes it spiritual that, that um, all that you knew about physical consumption, I now put um, into the context of me talking about my body, my blood, that is going to be a spiritual gift for you to receive the ultimate gift of salvation and new life in me and be to be set free of your sin and to be able to dwell with me forever. So I think all of that is building up to this. So it's, it's shocking language, intentionally shocking language. And Jesus, like you said, does not care that people are walking away um, because those who are you know, prepared to get it will get it. Um, and those who come after will get it. Um, it wasn't just about those that were there listening that day. And they'll be able to connect the dots and these incredible dots that go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And uh, able to truly appreciate what it means that Jesus gave his flesh and blood to be our spiritual nourishment uh, that gives us eternal life. And, um, and relationship opportunity for relationship with him, uh, with our, our sin. Uh, set aside so I don't know I just uh, that's where my mind was going just kind of following that trail to how did how did we get here and it's these are shocking words eat my flesh drink my blood um, I 
Also, verse 55, my flesh is real food, my body is real drink. I'm, I'm curious if that's uh, maybe partially the basis for the Catholic belief that Jesus is oh, physically yeah, present sure. in the, yeah. the Eucharist, the Eucharist yeah. uh, which is one of the differences between Catholicism, yeah. Protestant churches. But, um, but yeah, it just uh, I think it's meant to shock, and um, it's meant to force us to take notice and really uh, look deeper, and which hopefully is what people do with it. Yeah, and um, <laughs> to leave on a maybe on a little controversial note, I, Jesus <laughs> kind of says in the verse forty four before he, before all of this, he says, "No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day." So in a sense, it's like that those who leave were not being drawn by the Father to Him, and those who stayed were drawn to Him. And I and I love were drawn to Him by the Father. Hmm. Um, and I love verse sixty eight is one of my favorite verses of Scripture. Where and so and actually, matter of fact, this this is actually a great way to end. <laughs> so uh, after all that Jesus said, He's like, "This is a fed you," and then He even asks His disciples, "Like, do you want to leave too?" Um, verse 67 and I love Peter's response and this is kind of to be honest and and you're Christian in our Christian walks there's things that you don't understand what God may be calling you to or you read a passage of scripture in the Old or New Testament you're like I don't understand this and and you might wrestle with it but I love Peter's response this is kind of how I mentally respond it's um, Peter says Lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Mm. Um, I love that response because he's saying, like, where, where else do we go? You know, because mm. I, and, and this is what my, like, where else do I go? Like, I know Jesus has the words of eternal life. And, and you know there is nowhere else to go. And, and you truly believe. And what I, what I love here, too, he says, we've come to believe and to know. Mm. So what's important here is, like, we can have a, a belief in, in, in the facts or, or the theological truths of Scripture, but it's also important to know, he says, like, to know you. So in a sense, like, my, my knowing of Jesus in a real, and I want to say in a real personal way, like, I personally know Jesus, and he's going to say things that are offensive, that are hard, and I may not understand them, but I, but I know Jesus, and I know that he gives eternal life. I know that he loves me. I know that he's forgiven me. I know that his grace and mercy, and, and where else do I go? Like, I, I know there's no place in the world that offers the love and the grace and forgiveness and sacrifice that Jesus offers. So even though I may not understand, I, I'm going to commit to Christ and continue to follow him, um, even in the midst of not completely understanding. So I think that's a good way to end in um, understanding the hard teachings of Jesus and we so we'll, we'll do another week um, there's there's more passages out there and um, because there's also Paul and I talked about there's passages that are hard to understand but then there's also passages that are hard hard to live out um, hard to practice um, so hopefully this was a good podcast for y'all thank you so much if you made it this far thank you so much for listening uh, we really appreciate uh, um everyone all our listeners and those who've been committed to this podcast we've been doing it for so long now and i've and i've (laughs) heard some good things about it and for those who i really appreciate your kind words for those who've talked about the podcast we we really appreciate it and um we'll keep doing it and 
Um, so long. Yeah. So long. <laughs> so long. <laughs> the added it's, emphasis. Right. Right. So hopefully we can see you all in church and um, soon, and uh, we'll talk to you again on another Encouraging Word podcast.